church. It's good to see you all. It's good to, it's a little bit chilly today. I understand, but don't worry. The sun will come and, and toast us right up as it always does every Sunday. Uh, we're so glad that you guys are joining us. If you are uh, joining us over Zoom online, thank you for tuning in. If you're here in person getting coffee, um, please get your coffee and, and move into the seats. Uh, but we're super happy that you guys are here. If you guys have to find your sermon notes or anything else that you need, you can find them online at civlhammer.com forward slash Sunday. Or you can go over there and check out the resources table where we have, again, coffee. Um, but yeah, we're going to go ahead and get started. Would you stand with us if you did make it to your seats? And, uh, and let's worship. <laughs> Show us your power, show us. 
Good morning, everyone. Go ahead and be seated. My name is Jonathan Rickert. For any of you who do not know me, I help out with our teams here at Church in the Valley. We're just really glad that you are here to join us this morning. Um, now, if you could go ahead and pull out the program that you received as you came in, I greatly appreciate that. Inside there is a connection card, as well as just some information about what's going on here at Church in the Valley. Uh, we'd actually really appreciate it if everyone could go ahead and fill out that connection card. You can just put your name, email, uh, any irrelevant information. If you're a guest with us here this morning, we just invite you to share as much information as you feel comfortable sharing with us. Um, and towards the end of service, if you look around, there's some gray or uh, tan buckets around the courtyard here. You can go ahead and just drop your connection card and any recycling you have in there as well. Now, if you are a guest with us, we really are just so excited that you are checking us out here this morning. We have a special gift just for you. It's a book called How Good is Good Enough? And you can go ahead and pick up a copy of that book over here at our resource table right over there by the drinks. And so for all of you who are here every week, you know it has been a long time, years since we've had drinks. But we have drinks once again. So you can be excited. We have some coffee over there, water um, and tea, hot chocolate as well. So go ahead and enjoy that. And we were going to keep moving forward with that in the coming weeks. Now, again, we are just so glad that you are with us here this morning. We're going to sing another song and then John Taylor is going to come up and give us our message. Let me go ahead and pray for us and then we'll keep worshiping. God, we just thank you for this beautiful day, this beautiful place that we can come and meet you, the most glorious God. Pray that you would just really help us to open our hearts to you, to um, really just focus in on you and really hear from your word, God. And I pray that you would really just change us this day. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us as we continue to declare the greatness of our God.
time, just the voices all hail. praise and to worship you, Lord. We want that day to come. We're excited and we want to see you come, Lord. And so we invite you into this place that we would listen to you and obey you and that would be our sacrifice to you. All hail you. We hail you in our hearts. We hail you in our minds, in our souls, in our bodies, in our spirits. Would you speak to your servant John this morning? That we would honor you with our ears and honor you with the heart with our hearts. All that we do be under your direction and in your provision and your grace. We love you. We thank you. We pray these things in your name, in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Guess I'll never see. morning, everybody. How are you today? Happy Sunday. We're going to be talking today about praying for the Holy Spirit. It's probably going to take us two weeks to do this. I won't be here next week, but the week after that, uh, we'll finish this off. So, that is God willing. Uh, and this is a very important topic. It's not one that's very much discussed um, in evangelical circles. It's something I think is, is interestingly put in the Bible, something that's meaningful in church history, something that's meaningful in my own life, and something that I think is part of the dynamic of church life that's really important and personal life. It's really important that we understand our dependence and so on the Holy Spirit and we learn how to pray for the Spirit in such a way that we live that Spirit-empowered life. You know, it's tough being a Christian, right? You know, sometimes well-meaning people, when they're evangelizing, they're just trying to tell people how absolutely great it is to be a Christian, and it is. It's absolutely wonderful, but sometimes they forget to tell people just how tough it is, how hard it is to keep making those right choices sometimes, how hard it is to you know, resist temptation, how hard it is to deal with persecution and deal with mockery and criticism and ostracism and and, uh, and people rejecting you because uh, you're uh, one of those Christian weirdos. It can be very hard being a Christian, but let me tell you something else. It's a lot harder not being a Christian, right? If you think it's hard following Jesus, it's a whole, that's true. It's a whole lot harder not following Jesus. And uh, 
we need to live this life that we have. One of the things that makes it, the thing that makes it possible to live this life that we have is God in us, is the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's my conviction from the scriptures, I'm going to try to show you that, that over this next couple of messages that I do, that this is something really important to live this life in absolute dependence on God, the Holy Spirit, within us, individually, among us as the church, and empowering us and guiding us. <clears throat> now, this church has kind of Baptistic or Baptist roots, and, and so it's, uh, it's not necessarily in Baptist circles. Uh, we don't have a sort of formal prayer for the Spirit, at least we think we don't, except that uh, if you want to be ordained to ministry in a church like this, uh, somebody's going to come and lay hands on you in front of the church and pray for the anointing of God on your ministry. And of course, that's nothing other than praying for the Spirit in the life of that person who's going into missions or into ministry. That's what it is. But let's go back a bit further in church history. I want to tell you something, that praying for the Spirit is something that's been a consistent part of church history and church tradition uh, for about as long as the church has been going, right, for 2,000 years. Let's just take you into some other denominations for a minute. Uh, as one of, uh, one of uh, my a teacher I heard used to say, God must love denominations. He made so many of them. But I'm not sure that's quite the case. But if you were in the Anglican church and you wanted to be confirmed, or the Church of England, you wanted to be confirmed, uh, they have infant baptism or christening, and then when you get a bit older and you want to, you know, uh, want to be, commit yourself to the Lord, they have this service called confirmation. And uh, they hand, lay, in, in that service, the bishop rocks up, and he lays hands on you, and... He prays this, let your Holy Spirit rest on them, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and inward strength, the spirit of knowledge and true godliness, let their delight be in the fear of the Lord. That's, of course, a prayer based in Isaiah 11, and which is talking about the spirit on the Messiah. Uh, in the Catholic Church, uh, if you get confirmed there, uh, but the bishop will pray for the pouring out of the spirit on you, lay hands on you, and he'll anoint, anoint you with oil uh, for the gift of the spirit. In the Lutheran Church, in their confirmation service, uh, they'll pray for the, uh, what they, they call it, the renewal and increase of the gifts of, of the gift of the Holy Ghost. So that's when they say renewal, they recognize that, you know, when you've been converted, uh, that's when you receive the Spirit. Uh, but uh, there's, a, there's a, the purpose in praying for the renewal of that and the increase of that. They lay hands on people to receive the Spirit. In the Orthodox churches, Greek Orthodox, the Russian Orthodox, and those other Orthodox movements, um, they, they pray for the Spirit right after you're baptized, and of course, or after christened, a lot of it happens when they're infants, but even if you're adult, the same thing happens. They have a, immediately following your baptism, they have a speci another uh, kind of sacrament or, or liturgy of what they call chrismation or anointing, and where they anoint people, actually they anoint them with oil in every part of their body, pretty much, their legs, their arms, everything. And then they lay hands on them for the receiving the Holy Spirit. Uh, by the way, almost all of these churches also have in their baptismal service, uh, along with that, 
a, and or with their confirmation service, a, a declaration that you renounce the de works of the devil uh, and uh, you can repent of your sin and you confess Jesus as Lord and so on. Uh, in the Methodist church, uh, they pray for, in their confirmation service, they pray for the Holy Spirit. They lay on their hands and the prayer they use is based in Paul's prayer for the Spirit uh, that he prays for the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 3. We'll get to that a bit later. So with all that history, when, you know, Pentecostals came along and, uh, you know, 1906 and started praying for people to be baptized with the Spirit, people are already baptized in water. At first glance, this seemed that it's people, what's, what's, this is shocking, what's going on here? Because you realize that's what Christians have been doing ever since the church began, is praying for the, for the work of the Spirit. Praying for the gift of the Spirit, praying for the filling of the Spirit. And as I said, even in movements which don't necessarily use that language in their baptism or services or their, you know, they, uh, they, they pray for order, pray for an anointing, <laughs> they pray for power, they pray for uh, and so on upon people going to ministry or ordinance, you know, whether it's Baptists or Presbyterians, they're all doing it. So what I'm trying to say is when I talk about praying for the Spirit, I'm not talking about something unusual here, right? Not to something out of step with church tradition, and I'm going to show you, I think, that it's also not out of, out of step with the Scripture. And so this is nothing really strange. People have been doing this for, for 2,000 years. So now we want to ask this, what do we call receiving the Spirit? Because the scripture uses a number of expressions for this. Just in the book of Acts, for example, I'll give you, is this on the screen? So Acts 1.5 says this, you will, be, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Baptized with the Holy Spirit or in the Holy Spirit. Of course, the word baptism means to be dunked or immersed or, you know, put into something. So that's an interesting way of, of putting it, that Jesus told the disciples, before many days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1.8, he promises again, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's a different way of putting it. Holy Spirit comes upon you. You know, in one, you're put into the Holy Spirit. The next one, the Spirit comes on you and gives you power. And when it actually happened, when the promise was fulfilled in, in the next chapter of Acts, Acts 2 verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So the promise is to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and to, be, to receive power when the Spirit has come upon you. When it happens, the way Luke describes that, who writes the book of Acts, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. But it's referring to the same event. In Acts 2.38, when Peter preaches then, following that day, in the, on the day of Pentecost, and he preaches to the crowd who'd gathered when all these believers were filled with the Spirit and started speaking in other languages, praising God in different languages. Uh, he said, you will, he told the crowds, if they would repent and be baptized for the remission of their sins, they, he says, you will receive, Acts 2.38, you will receive the gift of, of the Holy Spirit. That's another way of putting it. Frequently in Acts, it just says they received the Spirit. In Acts 10.38, Paul, uh, 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 in Acts 10.38, uh, we, we read this. 
you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and power. This is Peter preaching to a, a group of Gentiles. And, and he describes Jesus' experience of the Spirit as being anointed with the Holy Spirit and power. And in, in the same event, in the house of Cornelius, the Roman centurion who'd gathered some of his family and friends to listen to Peter preach the gospel, while he's speaking in Acts 10.44, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who are listening to the message. And that's a whole variety of different expressions for the receiving the Holy Spirit, right? Baptized, receive power, come upon you, be filled, receive the gift, anointed with spirit and power, fell upon people. That's a whole range of expressions. They're all pointing to the same experience. So you don't have... You just don't get kind of messed up thinking, okay, I've been baptized with the Spirit, but am I filled, right? <laughs> have, I, have I been anointed with the Spirit? They're all pointing to the same experience. God presence, God living in a believer or in his, among his church through the power, you know, through the Holy Spirit, right? But, of course, what each of these expressions are is a, a range of different metaphors, right? A way of, how do you describe the indescribable, right? How do you describe God, the infinite, eternal God, living within and empowering a little old person like me or you, right? How do you describe that? And so that's what Scripture's doing with all these different expressions, is trying to give you a, a range of ways of thinking about the, the power and the meaning and of the person of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us and empowering us, filling us. Some people think of the Holy Spirit as a, a kind of power, right? You get the feeling when some people talk about the Spirit that they think of the Spirit as the force, right? In Star Wars, in other words, impersonal force, just kind of power without person, a power without a, without, but not a person. That's what some people think about the Holy Spirit. And so it's, a, it's kind of an impersonal power that you can tap into, but it never is. He is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, right? Some people uh, take the, the expressions being filled with the Spirit and they think about the Spirit as kind of a liquid, Right, as if somehow when you say, oh God, fill me with the Holy Spirit, God pops a cork in heaven and fills you up. And, you know, because you leak, right? That's what people think. I, I've leaked, I need more spirit. And, and so just fill me up again, Lord. As if somehow the Spirit is liquid. The Spirit is not liquid. The Spirit is not an impersonal force. The Right in the day of Pentecost, when they, they received the Spirit in Acts, they, they they heard a wind, right, like a sound of a rushing wind in the house where the 120 believers were gathered praying and waiting for the Spirit, and they saw tongues of fire distributed and settle on each one's head. But that doesn't mean the Spirit is fire, and it doesn't mean the Spirit is wind. But these are manifestations or signs that accompany the giving of the Spirit, because the Spirit is the invisible God. Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. There was a, in the early church, the first few centuries of the church, they had lots of theological debates as they were trying to settle who really is this Jesus. 
you know, and they decided, you know what, he's God and human man. And, and then they had to decide, well, who is the Holy Spirit? And there was uh, some people who really rejected the idea that the Holy Spirit was God. They, they said, no, he's a, a spiritual force or something. They, they called them the spirit fighters, not because they're fighting with the spirit, because they were sp- fighting against the spirit. And uh, they didn't want to accept it. So they had a kind of what we call a binatarian faith, not a trinitarian. No, they had fa- the Father and the Son, but not the Spirit. That's, if you, if you have that kind of faith, if your spirit is out of your Christian e- experience, if you, if you kind of reject the Spirit, right, you're rejecting God himself. So let's talk about the importance of receiving the Spirit, the importance of receiving the Spirit. First of all, we go to Mark chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. And listen, for those of you who are visiting today for the first time or haven't heard me speak before here, just to say that normally when I'm preaching here, I, I, I just try to work with one passage of the Bible at a time. But on this particular message, I've decided to make it more thematic, go through quite a lot of text. So we're going to see a lot of Bible this morning so get your bibles open have it ready man we're going to be we're going to be working through the through some a a lot of texts and uh, the reason we can preach themes in the bible is because there are themes in the bible right the bible has themes not just passages and so we can teach those themes baptism in the spirit how important is this how is it important is receiving the spirit and first thing to say is this the baptism in this with the spirit is even more important than baptism in water baptism in the spirit is even more important than baptism in water this is not to say that baptism in water is unimportant far from it it's absolutely vital right baptism in water is absolutely vital why because it's the rich symbolism that we 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 that that demonstrates all sorts of things but in in baptism we are identifying with Christ in his death and resurrection we are demonstrating and symbolizing our cleansing and our washing our purification from the the guilt and the stain of sin and evil Baptism in the water is incredibly important. But listen, baptism in the Spirit is even more important. Listen listen to what John the Baptist, you know, if anybody believes in water baptism, it's John the Baptist, right? I mean, he's the guy who introduced it. I mean, the Jews already had a kind of form of water baptism for proselytes, non-Jews who wanted to become Jews. They went through a kind of washing. But in Jewish life in the first century, you... Uh, had lots of emotions in water. Uh, every time you went up to the temple, you know, you, you, you took a bath, you kind of walked walk, walk down the steps into a, what I call a mikvah, a, a kind of public bath, and you walked down into it and walked back up again. No one did it to you. Uh, you had to, you know, that kind of ritual of cleansing before you went to the temple. And so uh, John the Baptist, you know, he's the guy who knows about water baptism, and, and this is what he said. Mark 1, 7 and 8. After me comes he who is mightier than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you in water, but he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Think about what's happening here. John saying, 
I baptize you with water, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It's just, is that just two separate things? But no, look at the way they're being compared. He says, there's someone coming after me. He's mightier than I. He's more worthy than I. He's greater than I. I'm not even worthy to, to tie up his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You see the comparison, right, from the lesser to the greater in each case, from the lesser John to the greater Jesus, from the lesser water baptism to the greater spirit baptism. And again, not to deny water baptism is absolutely, absolutely crucial, but that just makes spirit baptism all the more important, all the more important. Second, why is, why is baptism in the Spirit or the gift of the Spirit so important? I'll give you one other crucial example. The Spirit is the power of the new covenant. The Spirit is the power of the new covenant. If Jesus is the sacrifice of the new covenant, the Holy Spirit is the power of the new covenant. We'll go back into a couple of Old Testament New Covenant passages here. Now, the, the Old Covenant was the covenant that God made with Israel at Mount Sinai through Moses when he gave Israel the Ten Commandments. He claimed them for his people. He gave them their law and their constitution, if you like, their basic laws, and set and made them into a nation to be his people, and he would be their God. And the basics of the Old Covenant was that he would be their God, they would be his people, they would represent God on the earth, he was going to be with them. Uh, and, but how did, how did that work? He gave them the law and they're expected to obey it uh, because that, would, that was what it meant to follow the old covenant. But the problem with the old covenant is that people didn't obey it, right? And it's not a problem with the, the law, it's a problem with people. But nevertheless, that's what happened. And, and the, we start to get prophets before and after the Israel's exile. We start to get prophets like Ezekiel or Jeremiah or Joel predicting a new outpouring, a new covenant, a new movement. So in Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27 says this, I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you'll be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities, from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. What's the problem with the old covenant? People didn't obey it. What's, how is, that gonna, how is gonna, people going to be made obedient? How are people going to be transformed to be true followers of God? By the gift of the spirit, I will put my spirit in you, he says to Israel. Now, that's interesting because we've got this idea, I will sprinkle water upon you and clean you, right? That's in Ezekiel 36, 25. And then in 27, I will put my spirit in you. So we've got this water and spirit thing happening there. It's interesting because in John chapter 3, verses 3 to 8, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And he says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, well, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time to his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and a spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
So again, what do we mean by water and spirit, born of water and the spirit? Um, I think this is alluding back to Ezekiel passage we just read in Ezekiel 36, where it's the, it's the idea of cleansing from impurity and the gift of the spirit. And so uh, that's what Jesus said. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said to you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it's come from or where it goes, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Right? The Spirit is the empower of the new covenant. You have to be born again. How to, what does it mean to be born again? Not to go back into your mother's womb. Right? Born again is not reincarnation. Born again is regeneration, that is, made alive by the Holy Spirit, made alive by the Holy Spirit. Not reincarnation, but regeneration, made alive by the coming of the Spirit, to be born of the Spirit. Another well-known New Covenant passage, in fact, the New Covenant passage in the Old Testament is in Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, and I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. I will be their God and they will be my people. This is an internal transformation that changes them from a disobedient to obedient people. Paul, in the, in the book of 2 Corinthians, talks about the new covenant, the language he's taken from Jeremiah 31. He says to them, you show that you are a letter from Christ, he says to the church, the Corinthian church, you're a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. So notice again, Paul's thinking about, what is it, what's the new covenant about? It's about the spirit in the human heart bringing transformation, right? For the letter kills, he says, for the, but the spirit gives life. So it's a, a transformation of life by the power of the spirit. So there's just two out of many reasons I could have given as to why the gift of the spirit is so important. But here's two, number one. It's even more important than water baptism. And it's something that Jesus does, right? He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. By the way, where did this idea come from that it's the Messiah, Jesus, who gives the Spirit? Right? Because that's not in the Old Testament. It's interesting. It's one of those things that's not in the Old Testament. It's John the Baptist who came up with that idea. He's the one who said, you know, as a prophet of God, I baptize you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And that was, of course, right before he baptized Jesus and right before Jesus himself received the Spirit at his baptism. Well, just wait a moment for the helicopters to go overhead.
So, it's even more important than water baptism. Secondly, it is the power of the new covenant, the life-giving, transforming power that regenerates and renews and gives life to believers. That's, those are two among many reasons I could have given you from the scriptures why the gift of the Spirit is so absolutely vital. So I'm going to say now that we should pray for the Spirit and I'm going to give you some reasons from the Bible. I'm, I'm going to start here mostly from the book of Luke and the book of Acts. Why is this? Because in the different parts of the New Testament, the, the different authors have very different emphases. They emphasize different things about the Holy Spirit. So, in, and one of the things that, it's, that Luke emphasizes, he wrote two books in the Bible, right? Uh, Luke and Acts. Some people think he also wrote Hebrews, but I'm not so sure about that. But Luke and Acts, he wrote two books, and in both of them, we have this emphasis on praying for the Spirit. It's something that, Without Luke, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have so strongly in the Bible. Uh, and we're going to go, first of all, to the Gospel of Luke, to, to Luke 11, 11 to 13. And the point is this, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to those who ask for it, right? He promised the Holy Spirit to those who ask for it. That's very simple. That's not complicated, right? But let's read the passage. Suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he's asked for an egg, he won't give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Well, that's an interesting passage. Think about this. You know, we've got some fathers here and mothers. If your kid asks you for... I don't know if you, any of you are asking for fish. Honestly, I don't know if I ever remember any of my kids ever asking for fish. Uh, but uh, but uh, if they had, I would not have given them a snake. I can guarantee you I would not have given them a snake. You know, we just had our grandchildren come and visit over Christmas. It's lovely to see them. And you, you know, I'll tell you what, when a grandchild asks you something, you really want to give it to them. It's really, you know, and, and, and so look, we know how to give good gifts to our children. But here's the idea of, again, the lesser and the greater. We, Jesus said, if you, being evil, you still give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give? Right? There's, again, the lesser that we're, we're lesser, and yet we still give good gifts to our kids. Good things. Eh? Right? I was actually offered a, a scorpion once uh, when I was uh, in, in Africa, I, in, in, in Togo, and uh, uh, someone uh, noticed a scorpion in, uh, amongst the rocks and uh, uh, just outside the dining room I was eating in this mission station. And anyway, they brought it in for me. said, you know, what do you, how do you like a scorpion? <laughs> you know, so anyway, I don't think they really expected me to eat it. They, just, uh, they were just messing with me. But... Uh, Listen, this is basic, basic theology of prayer, basic understanding of prayer. God gives good gifts, and especially the emphasis in this one is that he gives the Holy Spirit. That's the goodest of good gifts, if you like. That's the best of all good gifts, is the gift of the Holy Spirit. To whom? 
does he give the Holy Spirit? To whom does God give? To whom does the Father give the good gift of the Holy Spirit? It's not complicated. He gives it to his kids, right? He gives them to his children. And when and how does he give them the Holy Spirit? He gives it to those who what? Those who ask. Those who ask. That's not complicated. It's right there in the Bible. The Father gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. You know, in, in, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus himself was praying when he received the Spirit in Luke 3, verses 21 to 22. All the people were baptized, and Jesus also being baptized was praying. The heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Jesus is the Son of God, the child of God, and he receives the Spirit from the Heavenly Father and an affirmation that you're my son, my beloved son, I'm pleased with you. This is Jesus himself. And it's only Luke's gospel that, ha that records that Jesus was praying when the Spirit came upon him. Uh, and so that's part of Luke's emphasis on the prayer for the Holy Spirit. The early church was praying when they received the Spirit at the day of Pentecost. The early church was praying on the day of Pentecost when they received the Holy Spirit as a church for the first time. Right, so in Acts 1 verse 14, Acts 1 14, all of these, that's 120 believers, were devoting themselves to prayer, and this is the city of Jerusalem, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So they're devoting themselves to prayer. There's a 10-day period between when Jesus ascended to heaven, right? He rose from the dead. 40 days later, he ascended to heaven. After his ascension, there's a 10-day period, and Jesus had promised, don't leave Jerusalem. Don't, you know, don't go out evangelizing the world until you receive the Holy Spirit. Don't you dare do that. And so they, now, you know, of course, he's expecting that as soon as when they get the Holy Spirit, they will certainly go and evangelize the world. But they are waiting 10 days because Jesus had promised the Holy Spirit. They didn't know how long that was going to take, but for 10 days they prayed, and 10 days later, the Jewish festival of, the, of Pentecost, and on that day, they're, they're still praying. 120 believers have been praying a 10-day prayer meeting, expecting the Holy Spirit. And when the day of Pentecost came, Acts 2, verse 1 to 4, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind that... And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages, tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. The Spirit enabled them to speak. You know, that was the Pentecost, if you like, the beginning. Some people think of this as the birth of the church. Uh, I want to say something here about... Uh, I've got a quote here I want to just bring from, uh, if I can find it, um, from D.L. Moody. Who, no, no, missed it. Uh, oh, hang on. Excuse me.
No, missed that. I lost that quote. Sorry. I'll bring it next time. It's a good one. The church has repeatedly experienced outpourings of the Spirit in history, and most of those outpourings have led to powerful missionary outreach and expansion and growth of the church. The one I was thinking about was the Moravian Pentecost, so-called Moravian Pentecost. On August the 13th, 1727, right? August the 13th, 1727, there's a group of, little group of believers in uh, in Moravia, or in, actually in eastern Germany, in Germany, in a province there, uh, and this little church was led by a count with a wonderful name of uh, Nicholas uh, von Zinzendorf, and he's a, a man of God. And so they, well, they've been praying, and on that morning, Sunday morning, and they, the church is coming together for prayer, and and praying for an outpouring of grace. They're coming to actually for communion service. And one of the reasons things they're troubling with has been division in the church. There's been backbiting and, uh, uh, you know, just uh, anger and trouble between people, and they're really seeking the Lord. And that Sunday, as in their communion service, as God just poured out his Holy Spirit, there was an incredible sense of the presence of God relationships were healed and restored people were made right people confessed their sins they started to started to worship the lord in a new way something happened so powerful on the moravian pentecost right that they started a new missionary movement you know uh they in the next two decades they sent out more missions uh more missionaries from that beginning of that little movement they sent out more missionaries in the next two decades than the entire Protestant church had sent out in the previous two centuries since the Reformation. They started a 24-hour-a-day prayer meeting for world missions that went on uh, for world evangelism that went on for over 100 years. Literally 100 years without ceasing, 24-hour-a-day prayer meeting, you know, uh, uh, that went on and on and on and and. And so we often think of the beginning of the modern missions movement as 1792 was, was when William Carey went out to India, but he was already inspired by the Moravians who had already gone out before he went out to India. Uh, he, you know, they had already been to North and South America, to Africa and to Asia. Incredible movement of missions. And it began with an outpouring of the Spirit as the church came together. Let me give you some other examples. In 1904, we, we, there was the so-called Welsh Revival. I don't know if you've heard of this, but in Wales, in Britain, there was, there was a revival there that began in an incredible way. There was a gathering of pe people have been praying for revival, praying for the move of the Spirit, praying for the Holy Spirit, praying for God to move in their nation that was, you know, was really uh, in many ways godless and, 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 they, and the churches were dead and empty. And there was a, a meeting and they decided to pray this prayer. Each one in that meeting went around one after the other and each of them by turn prayed the same prayer. And they prayed this prayer to, to, to the Father. They said, Father, send the Holy Spirit now 
for Jesus' sake. That's the prayer they prayed at the beginning of the Welsh Revival. Everyone in the church went around and each of them out loud, one by one, prayed the same prayer. And before they got to the end of that, of the, of the, of the line, the Holy Spirit had started to fall upon that church. People started to confess their sins, started to repent, started to praise the Lord, started to cry out to God. Started a revival that led, you know, in the next few months to 100,000 people being converted and brought to Jesus. That revival inspired another revival that happened the following year in eastern India, in, in Kassia, uh, in one of the eastern Indian states. And, in, in, uh, and it was, that was 1905. They had been praying for revival, praying for evangelism, praying for their nation. They heard about the revival in Wales and they got inspired to even more prayer and the Holy Spirit fell there. And, and an incredible revival movement that went into all of that eastern part of India and to Nagaland and other places there. That's 1905. In 1906, just down the road in Azusa Street in Los Angeles, a revival, the so-called Pentecostal movement started there as a man named William Seymour, a black, uh, a black American pastor who was uh, leading this and they started a revival, series of revival meetings which started in 1906 and went on to 1915. And the Spirit was poured out in 1906 in Los Angeles in, and now there are hundreds of millions of Pentecostals around the world. I'm just telling you, this is what's happened as people started to pray for the outpouring of the Spirit. The very next year, so that's 1904, Welsh Revival, 1906, uh, the Indian Revival in 1905, Indian Revival, 1906, Pentecostal Revival, and 1907, Korean Pentecost. When Korean believers in Pyongyang, which is now capital of North Korea, were praying, praying, and praying for the work of the outpouring of the Spirit. And the Spirit was outpoured on about, on a, on about 1,500 uh, pastors who had gathered for a conference, and that revival began just an incredible awakening, a spiritual awakening in the nation of Korea. And now, of course, that has affected the world because now Korea is one of the major sending countries, missionary sending countries of the world. And, and so these are just a, a few of the stories of, of what God has done in church history as people have realized their desperate need for the power of the Spirit to live the life that God has called us to live. We were never meant to live in dependence on our own resources, amen? We were never meant to live disconnected from the God who created us. Think about John, about the Gospel, gospel of John for a minute. At the, in John chapter 20, after he's raised from the dead, Jesus gathers his, 12, his 11 disciples there and he's breathed on them and says to them, receive the Holy Spirit. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Now, where's that image of breathing on someone come from? We go back all the way to Genesis chapter 2, as God created, you know, Adam, created man from the dust of the earth, and he breathes into him, and he becomes a living soul, a living being. So we have the breath of God that breathes into, makes this dirt live, if you like, and makes a human. 
in, in the very act of creation. And then as Jesus comes, he breathes on his disciples, and this is new creation. This is new creation. Praise the Lord. The Samaritan believers in Acts chapter 8 received the Spirit through the laying on of hands in Acts 8, 14 to 17. When the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they'd only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when they laid their hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. And I'll finish with this one from Acts chapter 9, verse 17. Paul himself received spirit through the laying on of hands. Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul had met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He gets in the city, he's blinded, and... He'd been praying and fasting, and Jesus sends Ananias, a believer, to lay hands on him, that his eyes would be opened, that he'd be filled with the Spirit, and he lays hands on him. The last two texts then are, are also about prayer for the Spirit, but they, these are particular to the laying on of hands. And... Uh, and so the prayer can be prayed in all kinds of ways, right? But here's my point. We need to pray for the Spirit. You know, when I was converted, uh, I had been christened as a child in a Methodist church, but uh, I, I came to realize uh, soon after I was converted at the age of 19 that... Uh, you know, that really wasn't a believer's baptism. It wasn't, that was done to me. I, you know, it wasn't something that I had any say in and that the Bible really called me to be baptized and immersed in water as a believer. My own church wouldn't do it for me because that I, that was I was in the Methodist church then and they, they wouldn't do it. Um, they got nervous about it. They, they sent me to the, uh, to the to the minister spoke to me, and then they sent me to the assistant minister, and he, he tried to convince me not to do it. Uh, but uh, uh, his argument failed because he was trying to tell me. I was I, I showed this scripture from the book of John, the one before I read earlier about being born of water and the Spirit. Now I'm not even I don't even think it really received. Now I'm not even sure that scripture talk, is really talking about water baptism as such. But in, that's what I thought in those days. But when I said, what about this John 3 passage? He said, ah, oh, well, Gospel of John. He said, written a long time after the others. You know, it's just kind of, he basically rubbished the Gospel of John. Because he was a very liberal Christian who didn't believe that much. And, and a very intelligent man. Anyway, I ended up going to a friend's, having to go to a friend's church to get baptized. And after I came up out of the water and the elders of that church gathered around me and laid hands on me and prayed for me to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, I already had the Holy Spirit. I was a believer. And we'll talk about that next week. But nevertheless, I had a powerful, powerful experience of the gift of the Spirit in my life. And uh, 
and uh, you know I went to uh, that that week I, I went to I was a university student I went to university and and some of my friends in, in at the university non-christian were saying something's happened to you what's happened to you there was a, a change in me that unbelievers noticed uh, a powerful experience you know, uh, a joy a strength and a joy that they hadn't seen before well I could say more about that but we I won't I'll leave some of this other stuff till next week I'd like us to stand now and pray know when we pray we come to the Lord acknowledging our desperate need of him we come in faith Lord we come to you in faith now <laughs> you might want to lift your hands to the Lord as we pray it's up to you but it's a it's a Often in the Bible, the lifting of hands is a, a sign of, of pleading with God. Father, we come and we lay our hands, lay ourselves before you. We extend our hands to you. We thank you that you have promised us the Holy Spirit. Lord, that we don't live this life alone, but empowered by the very God who created us, filled with the very God who created us, the one who loves us, filled with the God who has sent his son to die for us. Empowered, regenerated, recreated, transformed, made alive, and given the rich resources of God within. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you. We pray in Jesus' name that you pour out your spirit upon us. To and this church, we pray in Jesus' name you'd fill us today afresh with your Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you that as we became believers, we were sealed with the Spirit. We received the Spirit. But we do pray that you would fill us afresh today. Empower us, Lord, to live this life that you've called us to. And we pray not just as individuals, but as a church, that you'd pour your spirit upon us as a church. You'd, Lord, that we might see the move of God among us and through us into the, into the city and the nations. Lord, that you would again in our time renew your work through a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Father, in Jesus' name, send your Holy Spirit now. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Hey, church. We're gonna do something a little bit, a little bit different for a response. Um, maybe not so different, but we're gonna sing a bunch of songs that are. I want you guys to sing as prayers. 
um, prayers for the Holy Spirit. Um, and if you need to take time just to pray on your own or to confess anything to the Lord on your own, um, I want to open you guys up and say, you know, feel free, feel comfortable to do that. Feel free to do that. Um, as you're praying, as you're singing, however that looks like, um, this is the time. Ask the Lord for his spirit. Ask him to renew your spirit. Ask him to bring his spirit into this church, into this, to this land. This is my surrender, this is my surrender, here is where I lay it down, every lie and every doubt, this is my surrender, and I will make room for you, to do whatever you want to. To do whatever you want to, and I will make room for you. To do whatever you want to, to do whatever you want to.
thank you. We just have such access to you. We can come before you and just ask for your good gifts and you bestow them upon us. And that when you ascended into heaven, you did not leave us alone, but you sent your spirit to be our companion, to be our guide, to fill us and to empower us to do your will and to do your works. So I pray for every single one of us here who have committed our lives to following you, that you would fill us with your spirit, not just this morning, but throughout the rest of our weeks and the rest of our days. That day by day, you would empower us to walk with you and to know you and to love you and to have an influence in this world for your name and for your sake. Give us leading, give us direction, give us strength. We are unqualified in and of ourselves. Our ministry, our lives, our faith is all found in you. We love you and we exalt you. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray these things. Amen. Well, thank you guys for joining us this morning. We'll see you all next week. <laughs>